0: Before our episode begins today with the great Mark Normand, I just wanted to let our listeners know in case you have this playing in a car or you're bumping it on the subway out of an old school big beatbox, there is explicit language as you would expect from a standup comedian. So just a warning, if you don't want to hear explicit language, do not listen to our episode with Mark Normand. Let's get to the conversation. Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. Today, I'm honored to have with us Mark Normand. Mark is a stand-up comedian who has appeared on Conan, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon, the Late Show with Stephen Colbert. He reads stand-up comedy books, step-by-step guides that he's showing me. Greg Deans, one of the godfathers of comedy there. Uh, you can see Mark's hour-long stand-up special Out to Lunch on YouTube, which now has over 8 million views. He also stars in season three of the Netflix series The Stand-Ups and co-hosts the Tuesdays with Stories podcast every week. He is, in my opinion, the best American joke writer working what? today. Get Welcome, Mark.
1: Come on, that's a poppycock. But thank you, sir. You got great frames and a beautiful head of hair.
0: Thank you. I appreciate it. So I've only sp- spoken with Mark once before. And when we spoke, we, we spoke a lot about Norm McDonald, who had recently passed. Yes. And one of the silver linings of his death, if there was one, and you probably noticed this too, was he did every interview that anyone asked him to do. Is that so right? So there's just like, yeah. So he oh. he t- talked about how he, I just write most of the day, so I'm generally available. And so I say yes to pretty much every interview, which I think you do pretty much as well.
1: That's why I'm here.
0: Exactly. So you have all of these clips that people, I assume, just had in their basements for years of, you know, some random radio appearance in Canada. And you have all these amazing conversations where he's talking about profound things like life and death and like the nature of comedy. So I pulled some of those things today that I want to get your thoughts on. But first, is he what does Norm mean to you? Is he your favorite ever? Talk about
1: Uh, He's, a, he's definitely a huge influence on me. I mean, you watch my stand-up, and you can i you can see I'm doing him and stuff. Not doing him, but he he rubbed off on me, and I think he's probably one of the funniest guys to ever be documented. You know, we got, like, your Jim Carrey's and your Robin Williams and your mm. Eddie Murphy's who are funny, but he was a different kind of funny. He was—you couldn't tell if he was being real or not or – he always kept you guessing, kept you on your toes. He made you feel smarter than him, even though he was smarter than you. There was a, there was so many layers to Norm, and his joke writing was kind of uh, uh, groundbreaking. Maybe is the word. It just for me, I didn't see any kind of writing like that where he was so logical that it it blew your mind. You know, it's weird because mm. logical is just out there. But he would find a thing, you know, he'd be be like, uh, you know, they say alcoholism is a disease. Well, it's the only disease where you have a great time and might fuck somebody, you know. And you're like, oh, yeah, (laughs) shit. You know, identification. Identification. It's called ID. It shouldn't be called I, you know, stuff like that where you're like, damn, he's so outside looking in that he's seeing shit that we all just walk by every day. And there's a genius to that. His joke about the gay pride parade blew my mind. It was all... It was all like, uh, new to me that kind of that style. So what do you, fans. so you
0: said this, you identified something which I never thought about with him, which is that he made you feel smarter than him, even though he was smarter than you. Yeah. What is that like? Why is, why did you pick that up? Like that, I think that that's true, but like that's very powerful. And I don't think people talk about that very much. And bad comedy, usually you can tell the person feels as though. They're smarter than you, yes, maybe, and just yes. bad people generally. But I feel like that. Could you talk? Do you think about that when you're writing jokes? Or you're like, does this make me seem like I'm being smarter than the audience or something?
1: Uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of comics act cool and they're not cool. Or they act smart and they're not that smart. And I think people can see right through. For the dumb people, can't. But I think. It's uh it's super cool because everybody no one wants to be seen as dumb. So when you act dumb on purpose, it's kind of fascinating. And it shows it's like when a guy wears pink and girls are attracted to him because he's actually that secure that he can wear the pink. Some people go, What are you gay? He's like, No, I'm I'm not gay, but I'm so fine with not being gay or being gay that I can wear the pink. He was that way with smarts. Life. Life, <laughs> smart life. Yeah. <laughs> Does that so, that, make sense? so,
0: no, it totally makes sense. And it speaks to this more like transcendent point that he made about comedy. He did this interview on Canadian radio, I want to say. Mm. And he was talking about how George Carlin and Bill, George Carlin didn't make you happy, didn't make anyone happy. Bill Hicks yeah. didn't make anybody happy, but they are considered higher than Bob Hope. And he's ah, I know. obsessed I love with that. Bob Hope. I love that. He's obsessed. And he says, Bob Hope is brilliant because he's invisible. He says, quote, it's an existential <laughs> view where everything is reduced to the breeziest joke possible. It's almost a cartoon. Yeah. And I think if you rise to the level of a cartoon, you're truly at the pinnacle. If Bugs Bunny railed against God, you wouldn't think he was funny. People would think Ooh. he was a hack. The fact that you can't give a Bob Hope joke but he's among the most successful ever as a testament to his skill as a standup. He didn't even need good jokes. Every joke sucked on the tonight show is norm right about this.
1: I think he's right, but I do think, you know, like Chris rock in the nineties, I'd say had some of the best material of all time and it didn't make you happy or I guess that's a weird way to put it. Cause it made me happy because I love the jokes, but right. he was making points. He was social commentating. He had some good stuff in there, some really brilliant angles and I loved it. And I thought he was the best guy working at the time. So I disagree with the thing he's saying about making you happy, but I do agree that Bob Hope is a special comic and we, we demean him. We look down on him for being so light mm-hmm. and breezy, but that's actually what was incredibly difficult. It, Everybody's got problems, everybody's flawed, nobody's perfect, but he seemed perfect. And mm-hmm. in a way, that is incredibly impressive and rare and hard to do. But Norm did that. I mean, the guy had cancer, for Christ's sake, didn't tell anybody because he wanted to keep it breezy. And uh, that is incredibly difficult. And everybody uses every victimhood status all day long. I stub my toe, I'm half Cherokee, I'm gay, whatever it is. He didn't touch it and that is so mm-hmm. impressive.
0: So but then Chris Rock though was similarly I think rose to the level I like this idea of rising to the level of a cartoon and a cartoon I being like the pinnacle of like what good comedy is. And Chris Rock to me at least like bigger and blacker or yeah, bigger and blacker, right? That's his yeah. special in the 90s. And bring I think that's fame. maybe the the best special ever, maybe the best hour ever that anyone's ever done. Wow. And he is cartoon he is a cartoon. People could do Chris Rock and his cadence is funny. He's got like... Yeah. You can, and he's also like Norm in that you don't really know where he's going to... He comes at, at things from a totally different perspective. Yeah. And I feel like he. there is something more joyous about what he's doing than If you watch like Bill Hicks or George Carlin, it's not really funny. And maybe Chris Rock will be like that in 50 years. But I don't... Have you watched like a George Carlin thing ever? It's, it's really not it doesn't hold up it seems like
1: really well i mean i love carlin and i grew up with him but uh he has so much material that like right maybe 50% of it isn't that great but i feel like the other 50% is incredible I, you don't think yeah. uh the the football versus baseball holds up
0: that's his more the stuff that I remember is this very specific stuff about like the words you can't say on television right. or like um you know the feelings about the war or some of like his political commentary stuff. that's the stuff I remember, but I now that you say it, he had these more like broad like more like Bill Cosby type of like, oh yeah, maybe broad things and maybe sure. those are better and yeah and I,
1: I think he hit every kind of discipline of comedy. He had the puns he had angry stuff, he had silly stuff, he had sex stuff. So that's what I love about Carlin. See, he did it all. And Mm -hmm. every time I see a new comic, I go, that's a Carlin bit. That's a Carlin bit. That's a Carlin bit. So, like, I think, yeah, he has a lot of shit out there. Uh, It's almost like a movie director. Every movie director's got a couple stinkers, but it's still a great, he's still a great director. So uh, the problem with Carlin is is he gets diluted by his own bad work versus his good work. Yeah. uh, It's like Van Morrison. Yeah. (laughs) I love Van Morrison, but he's got some shit. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. does Bob Dylan, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, just the pro, you know, the progression of an artist, it's going to happen. But I think Carlin's, uh, I think he's insanely funny.
0: So here's another norm nugget. Yes. This is a segment called norm nuggets. So he says there's la- quote, there's laughter. And then there's smiling. I've come to <laughs> understand smiling and the spread of goodwill is a higher art form than hard laughter. John Candy, Charlie Chaplin, Bob Hope, you just smile. And I've thought like, from your perspective, are you going, how do you think about certain types of laughter? This is such an unfunny thing to talk about, but I think it's actually profound because you hear more than other people in life, what people's laughs are maybe more, more than 99.9% of people on earth. Do you think about the laugh you're trying to get or the feeling you're trying to evoke?
1: Oh yeah. Well, Go away norm said smiling getting someone to smile is harder than getting them to laugh
0: he said it's a higher i'll say i'll say exactly what he said The spread. Sorry. i've come to understand smiling and the spread of goodwill uh-huh. is a higher art form than hard laughter
1: i don't know about that i don't know about that because i know you know i had like a teacher in second grade who spread goodwill and made everybody smile and she was great and giving but she couldn't make anybody laugh that's for damn sure so I, I don't know if I agree with that, but it would be think, fun to
0: go to a show where people are simply just staring at you. Smiling
1: no, no. The whole
0: time. Yeah.
1: And and I think like a guy like Tom Hanks is like, I love Tom Hanks. There he is. There's Forrest Gump. It makes you smile, it makes you happy. But Tom Hanks ain't exactly uh, zinging and zanging. But the beauty of Norm is he could do both. He made you smile. He made you love him. He was childlike. He was that innocent and fun, but he also made you go, wow, that's fucking brilliant. That's hilarious. So hmm. I don't, know. maybe that, I think the best thing is two of those, those, both those qualities.
0: Yeah. So there's but also I'm thinking about, yeah, I think I disagree too. And it's, I get the feeling that he's thinking about where if you think of someone, you think about them in some positive way and they're almost like a model, like Charlie Chaplin, especially someone that you think about and you're like, wow, that's an amazing person that lived. That's that's such a a beautiful thing that he was alive and did all that part. But you're not like watching a Charlie Chaplin movie and busting, busting up about him, you know, jumping over a train or something. Yeah, maybe Um, in the
1: twenties, but not anymore. Maybe
0: in the twenties. Maybe not even in the twenties. Uh Mm -hmm. so I saw this was a when I was in college, my college gave Bill Cosby a lifetime achievement award.
1: Whoa. And it was the
0: children's education department because he had done stuff with no. no. (laughs) And uh the children's education department gave it to him because he had done apparently that was a big passion of his and like fat Albert was all about like teaching kids different lessons and stuff. And he had done a lot of, and little bill, you remember little bill, yeah that cartoon. Sure. And I was struck by the fact he did something that I've never seen any comedian do, which was just, he walked on the stage and the way he sat down, everyone was laughing.
1: Wow. Like he went to
0: one side of the chair and then he went to the other side, like moved his water and stuff. And everybody was laughing just by his, him sitting down. He made people laugh by how he sat down. And I'm curious if you've seen people like that, where it's just, they almost have this crazy otherworldly thing where, like, do you think that's something he worked on or something he was born with? Or how do you explain that? Because that was just so insane to me that someone could do that.
1: So I think so many people have that. I think that's a real, real thing. It's like this it factor. They might not be the best writer. They might not be the best. Uh, delivery guy, delivery cadence and stand-up, but they have this thing where they know how to be funny, they're goofy, they're silly, right out of the gate, and like Michael Richards has that. I know he's uh, another guy who's fucked, but there's a lot of guys, this guy Rory Scovel just has that, Bill Murray has that. It's just something about, like, what is it? And you can't, me and my dad used to watch Bill Murray and go, why is he funny? What is it? He's just talking, but he's funny, and it's a twinkle, it's a smirk, it's a you're in on the joke, whatever it is. So, that is a real gift. It's that's almost like God-given, or they figured out something when they were five, and it just clicked. I don't know, but some people just just have it. Some some women are just sexy, like they the way they talk, and they're like, why is she sexier than her? She's better looking than her, but something about her, you know. And, and just some people have this this thing, this it.
0: I, I, I worry maybe some people have that and they don't know. I mean, I think maybe everybody who has it knows it. But Rory Scoville is a good example where how do you even know? I guess you have to be fearless. But he did, it, I think, a bit where he's just silent on stage for like 15 minutes. Right. Wow. I think or he would not. He wouldn't say anything. He would just kind of look around at everybody. Oh, really? And if you don't if you don't have what you described. No, bueno. that's you're no. it's really going to be very bad. But totally. it's almost. How do you even recognize that you have a power like that? That's crazy. Well, I don't know.
1: I think I think as a as a kid, you're growing up, you're seeing reactions from it, you're you're getting, you know, you're getting positive feedback from it. So you 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 note it. You you make a mental note like, oh, maybe I'm pretty good at this. And then you kind of hone it and work on it, or it's just in you. I don't know. But uh, I think the the person who has it can feel it when they're doing it because people react. They go, man, the the mailman's dying at you. You know, something's up.
0: Right. Did you have signals? Like, did you take mental notes as a kid around oh, yeah. comedy? What oh, were those yeah, well, my, moments?
1: My parents were such workaholics that I would always try. Comedy was one way to, I wasn't going to outsmart them. I wasn't going to have a great conversation with them that would be illuminating to these adults. So comedy was the only way to get a reaction. And uh, yeah, I thought that was fun. And then you go to school, school's boring, but if you got to laugh, it was worth it. Um, the laugh just meant you existed and, and people didn't hate you. So I just loved getting laughs and yeah, I noticed it. Uh, I remember one time my mom, I was sick. I had the flu. My mom had to, she was a teacher. So she had to take me to school. She couldn't get a sitter. So I had to go to school and she was teaching at a college. It was 9. AM. And she's just like, sit there while I teach class. So she's teaching class. I'm bored out of my mind. It's, you know, it's the eighties and she had to go get a xerox from the other room so i stood on the desk and started singing uh spilling out knock-knocks jokes that i knew and i was killing but i was only killing because i was four you know i'm a <laughs> right. four-year-old you going, only lasts so
0: long if you're 18 and did that people would be oh, like, your son is interesting
1: exactly it's a special needs guy over here but uh, as a four-year-old standing on top of a desk going what does a ghost eat for dessert blueberry pie they're like ah! you know I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, they're barreled over in the in the, high, in the aisles so yeah so that positive
0: feed, and then you're just chasing that yeah
1: like, all what's the, the next
0: time. thing i could do yeah they yeah.
1: like me they like me everybody wins i get to tell my jokes they get to laugh it's a beautiful thing
0: so one of the things I, I find that like uh the the life of a stand-up comedian is very very unique and Norm talked about how one of the biggest struggles of stand-up, in his opinion, was the imposition of discipline on yourself. And he said, uh, "Quote: The key to unhappiness is indulgence."
1: Oh, and I, I completely agree with that.
0: And I can't like. See,
1: I think COVID kind guy.
0: of. He's so he's so profound in all of these things. Yeah, and, and like it seemed to me like COVID was a big wake-up call, not just for comedians, but really for everybody. That oh, without the structures of my normal day-to-day life of going to an office or whatever. I have to impose all these things on me, but good comedians, I feel like almost universally have learned how to do that and learned how to work hard and, and motivate themselves daily yes. to do stuff. And I'm, how did, were you always like that? How did you learn to be like that? What are some ways that you keep that up?
1: Uh, that's a good question. I think, uh, I think most comedians are inherently lazy. Even the best comedians who do the most work are lazy. They just know they're lazy and they act accordingly. So they they set goals, they make rules, they have a beeper that goes, a buzzer that goes off. All right, I got to write for an hour right now or whatever. But some people just don't do that. So for me, it was a combination of how bad do you really want this? That'll get you working. And then two or three, two or three of them. How bad do you really want to work? How bad do you really want this? Two. There's a guy nipping at your heels who's going to pass you in this business. He just started 2 weeks ago. You've been doing this 15 years, but he could still pass you if you don't get to work. And 3, it's not that bad. You know, like <laughs> I used to yeah. move furniture. I used to be a janitor. So if I can't sit down and write a joke and then go walk to the comedy cellar and tell it, maybe this isn't for me. You know, maybe you're not cut out for this. So comedy's tough because it's so lazy inducing you wake up at 11. Yeah, you're hungover. You partied all night. Now you don't want to write. I don't need to write. I'm funny. Why do I need to write? I'm already funny. I'll just go up and talk all that shit. And then you go to a, a club. Somebody else pays the bills of the club. They fill up the audience. They promote. They make the, sure the microphones work. You just have to literally go up and grab the mic and go zinger, zinger, zinger. And we still can't barely do that. So you got to be realistic and just go, this is fucking a dream gig. I'm lucky to be here. I'm lucky I get to do any of this. You know, it's like the guy banging the supermodel. After 10 years, he's sick of it. But you still got to go, hey, well, I'm lucky. So, you got to keep see- telling It seems
0: like, yeah, during COVID, you became more prolific, and many people <laughs> became uh, hermits, or just defeated, yeah. I guess, would be a word to use. Um, what's the what's the difference between those? I, I feel like that was such a clear distinction. and I could think about it just among people I know, not just comedians. Like some of them use COVID as an excuse to not do anything. And right. now they're really unhappy or not in a good place. Right, right. Whereas others who took it as, yeah, this is awful. What can I do? Ended up in a much more, maybe they failed, you know, maybe they didn't, and maybe that didn't end up paying off, but at least they were doing something being productive and are probably in a better place than they were two years ago versus being in a worse place. How did yeah. you think about that when stuff started closing down?
1: Well, for me, it was a couple of things. I, I was finally getting some heat. I was, I opened for Seinfeld. I did Joe Rogan. I had a Tonight Show come out. I was like cooking. And then the COVID hit. I was selling tickets for the first time in my life. And then COVID hit. And I was scared of losing that momentum. So that's all, that's why I did all these videos and podcasts and all that stuff. So that was part of it. And then two, I, uh, I'd like to have some success sooner rather than later. So I feel like I couldn't just sit on my ass for a year and then start all over again. I'd rather I'd rather go to the gym a little less and lose a little muscle than go never to the gym, lose all the muscle, and build it back up. So that's how I looked at it. That's I brilliant. Oh, the, thanks. Yeah,
0: I love that. So the you were f- you're from New Orleans, right? Yeah. And you grew up mostly in a majority Black neighborhood, is that right? Yeah um this feels like a deposition is that right Uh, um how did that affect your comedy do you think
1: mm. uh one one thing is you're you're the minority i know i'm a white guy but in that neighborhood i was the minority so you want even more attention you want even more validation because you already feel weird not to mention i feel weird around a bunch of white people too by the way so uh it's double weird so you need even more love you know and uh that causes you to really ramp up being funny being likable being memorable um so uh i think that definitely uh, you know most comics feel like outsiders already this is outsider on top of outsider plus the parents are workaholics they never see them so that's gone so uh yeah you always just wanted to get laughs and one thing i'll say about a black neighborhood was i feel like black people are way more honest in the fact that like if it sucks They'll tell you it sucks. If it's great, they'll they'll go hard on how great it was. Immediate
0: feedback. Yeah, the opposite yeah. of the Midwest passive yeah. aggressive. Yeah, right. that's great. Or right. any like I was just I was just talking with someone about this on the podcast. I went to a career day at a ninety nine percent black school on the west side of Chicago, mm. and I walk in first two two questions at every table. One, how much money do you make? Yep. And two, making fun of my water bottle, which was like really lame. <laughs> And that was like, hey, we're seeing this. We're going to. And it wasn't even like malicious. It was just like, this is what's going on. You know, maybe they get a laugh out of the water bottle joke. But like, hey, how much money do you make and what the hell are you doing with that water bottle? Um, Yeah,
1: let's get to it. Brass tacks. Let's get down to business. No fluffy bullshit. And you can see it in black rooms. It's very Coliseum-esque, like get rid of them. Amazing. You know, and uh, that's what, what it was like in the neighborhood. And I went to public school as well. And it was the same shit. And then it's weird because you get around like white people, and they'll be like, "Hey, you can't talk like that around them." And hey, they can't. But you're like, I think they'll be all right. You condescending coos. I think uh, who the hell are you to dictate what they get to hear? They'll they'll tell me if if something goes too far or whatever. So, chill the fuck out there, sister. But yeah, yeah, they kept it real. Let me look at look at uh, Rachel Dolezal. I feel like if if white people, if a black woman was like, I feel like a white woman, white people go. Whatever you think you identify as that, and then a, a white lady's like, "I feel like a black woman." And They're like, "Shut the fuck up, get out of here!" And everybody was like, "All right, that's that's the way black people feel. We'll go with that."
0: Uh huh. And she, I maybe misremembering my Rachel Dolezal stats, but I think she was like the leader of the local yeah ACP. Is that yep, right?
1: Yep, yep, yep.
0: And I, yeah, if that community, I have no, you know, clear <laughs> facts on her case, but hey, if in her community she was doing great things, it wasn't the end of the world that she was that way, even though that's very strange. That's strange yeah,
1: it's, it's just fascinating how, you know, a a man will become a woman and then go, I'm a woman, and we go, you're 100% a woman. But what about the periods and the pregnancy and all that? And they go, ah, you're a woman. But then black people are like, no, no, you didn't struggle, white lady. You're not one of us, and we just accept it. It's all very fascinating.
0: So, okay, speaking of... Um... I guess cancel culture and comedy. We just yesterday I think Louis put out Louis CK put out a special. Yeah, on his website. How have you what are your thoughts on him first of all as a comedian and then secondly the way in which he's sort of slowly reentering into public life or consciousness.
1: Uh I think he's a, a probably one of the best comedians of all time. Uh I think he put out too much maybe. I think he uh what do you call it? Uh, spread himself thin. You know, he's trying that one a year thing, which is his choice and all that. But I think it was a little much. Comedy takes time to hone. Uh, but yeah, I think there's no rules set on what you do and how we handle it and what the punishment is.
0: The last question I have for you, Mark, is uh, what's a truth that you've discovered in comedy or just in your life that very few people agree with you on? <laughs>
1: Uh, I think most anger from comedy tends to come from something internal. Like if you're mad at a joke, it's probably something going on with you. I think a lot of it is, is progress, uh, projecting thoughts and feelings. Like if I go, so my black roommate, you go, Whoa, Whoa, what's with what the racism? I, I immediately think like, well, what's with your racism? I wasn't even talking about that. So, cause when you think about it, comedy, you're just going out on the road, doing a focus group every night. If you do six shows, that's six focus groups. Okay, they didn't like this. They like that. That did well. That didn't. It's all just focus grouping, you know, seeing what people like, what didn't like. Feedback, feedback. So uh, a lot of people, you can see when they get triggered by a word or a sentence, it's something going on with them. As was Bill Burr would say, it's cut with their bullshit. Uh, oh, you got diddled as a kid, so I can't talk about my uncle, you know, and so that's this is on you. Don't, don't make me the diddler. And that, that comes up a lot in comedy.
0: Don't make me the diddler. That's a good place to end it. Thank you very yes. much, Mark Norman, for being worst, on Americans Talking. Worst
1: com- uh, Batman villain, the diddler. <laughs>